1: Hello, Jake. It's been a while. Uh, what's changed, Jimmy? I mean, you, you couldn't win a fight for love of money, right? I mean, how, how do you explain your comeback?
2: Well, you know, the truth is, Jake, for a number of years there, we, we was fighting injured. You know, uh, I broke my hand uh, more, more than once. Uh, I got in a car accident one time, I was on the road, and I had to get that fixed. Uh, I had a run of bad luck. And, uh,. This time around, I know what I'm fighting for.
1: Oh, yeah? What's that, Jimmy?
2: Milk.
3: All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast breaking down the on-field action of your favorite sports movies. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. We're nearly 40 episodes in, and we're finally talking boxing with Cinderella Man. I needed an expert because I'm definitely not one, and I got one. Michael Montero writes for The Ring and Boxing Monthly Magazines and discusses boxing on his podcast, The Neutral Corner, every Monday and Thursday. So if you're a boxing fan, check him out at Montero Unboxing on all socials. Michael is a boxing historian as well, which was perfect for this true story set in the 30s. He was a great guest, really hoping I can have him on again for another boxing movie real soon because there's, you know, as you all know, if you're into sports movies, boxing is a huge part of the sports movie lexicon. So uh, definitely, definitely enjoyed having Michael on. Per my usual sense of being horrible with names, I managed to mispronounce Renee Zellweger's name multiple times, but I'm just going to go ahead and blame that on Dave Chappelle. Who the f***? is Renee Zellweger. We've got some news. Starting Monday, November 4th, that is this coming Monday if you're listening to this on Thursday, October 31st, Big Screen Sports is moving to Mondays. Every Monday, you're getting sports movie content downloaded straight to your device as long as you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. The first Monday episode is also going to be the first edition of Real Debates with Patrick Claybon from NFL Network discussing his take on Hoosiers. I'm really looking forward to it, so make sure you're tuned in Monday for the first big screen sports episode. For anyone who hasn't heard yet, uh, we've got a big screen sports group on the Flick chat app. Download the free Flick app, type in the code Big Screen Sports. And come share some thoughts about this episode, partake in some general sports movie talk, and let me know what guests you'd like me to reach out to or who you'd like to have back on the podcast. It's really easy to get someone who's already been on back on, so if there's someone you guys want to hear, definitely let me know. I feel like Jim Braddock heading to the offices at Madison Square Garden holding out a hat, but if you guys could find it in your heart, to rate, review, share the podcast, it'd be very appreciative. You know the drill. You guys keep supporting this, and I'll keep bringing new episodes with new guests every week. Make sure you check out the entire Blue Wire network for podcasts ranging from football, to wrestling, gambling, and go check out Blue Wire merch. We've got a big screen sports shirt, and I've been telling you guys about it. It's got a Crash Davis quote on it. It's great. We're going to get some more shirts going here soon, but for now, you know, buy that one. Help support the podcast that way. Uh, I think that's all the housekeeping we got. So With that, let's talk Cinderella Man with Michael Montero. All right, my guest tonight, he is a writer for Ring Magazine and Boxing Monthly Magazine, and he's the host of the Neutral Corner Pod, coming at you, I believe, every Monday and Thursday, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Michael Montero. Michael, thank you so much for joining me tonight.
4: Thanks for having me on, Kyle. And yeah, you had it right. It's uh, Monday and Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on my YouTube channel, it's Montero Unboxing, and that's the handle on all my social media, Montero Unboxing.
3: And this episode is dropping. Uh, if you're listening to it uh, day it drops, this is uh, dropping on Halloween. Michael, do you have anything coming up that the listeners should be on the lookout for?
4: Uh, well, if you subscribe to the Ring Magazine, I have uh, two articles in the next issue that's going to be coming out uh, a couple weeks after Halloween. Other than that, uh, just my normal stuff. Uh, you know, I do some occasional radio spots here and there, and uh, podcasts like this one. I love doing this kind of stuff. So um, just look for me out there. Just Google Michael Montero or Montero Unboxing, and you'll see what's coming up with me.
3: Well, I'm I'm glad you're on this episode because I love boxing movies, but I'm far from a boxing savant. And I, I needed an expert to talk this one because today you and I are doing Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man is a 2005 biographical sports drama based on the true story of world heavyweight James J. Braddock. It was directed by Ron Howard starred Russell Crowe, Renee Zellweger, and featured an Oscar-nominated Paul Giamatti. Russell Crowe's six-movie run, from 99 to 2005, uh, ending with this, starts The Insider, Gladiator, Proof of Life, Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, and Cinderella Man, which is just an incredible run. Russell Crowe was on an absolute heater when this movie came out.
4: Yeah, I I didn't even think about it that way, but you're so right. This was kind of the culmination of a string of outstanding movies. And, you know, I I believe he dropped upwards of 40 pounds or so uh, to get to prepare for this role. And he actually trained with some real boxing trainers, some legendary trainers to prepare. And he looked pretty good. I mean, some of the training segments and everything, him working on the speed bag, he definitely learned a thing or two. So he took it seriously. He did a great job. My favorite performance, though, Paul Giamatti—he absolutely stole the show for me.
3: A hundred percent. I'm a I'm a huge Giamatti guy. He's he's a special actor in that he can use he can use that charismatic energy to be either a super likable guy like he is in this movie, or a complete bastard like he is in uh, the movie Love and Mercy, the uh, the Brian Wilson movie. Um, it's just yeah, incredible, and and we'll talk about it. This movie is just uh, it's just really buoyed by the acting performances. But it got an eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It was really well received by critics, but it grossed only sixty million dollars on a budget of ninety million dollars. So uh, tough beat at the box office for this one, which is surprising considering Crow was gold at that time. You know, with Gladiator and Beautiful Mind and everything. Uh, surprising, but it's it's one of my favorite movies. I'm glad you're here to talk about it. But for you, uh, getting into it, what makes a good sports movie for you?
4: Uh, You know, basically making it not about the sport, whatever sport, whether it's football, boxing, there's been a million sports movies. But when you humanize the characters and make it about their personal struggle, their family life, whatever it is, that's what makes a good sports movie. Because, you know, if you think about Cinderella Man, You don't think necessarily about the boxing action. I mean, I'm a boxing historian, so I think about that kind of stuff, and I think about the storyline as it, you know, the accuracy and everything like that as it pertains to boxing. But for a casual fan such as yourself, or for somebody who doesn't know anything about boxing, it's more about the human story. You know, it's it's about uh, Jim Braddock and his relationship with his kids, uh, with his wife struggling financially. I mean, the power gets cut off. There's no electricity in their apartment. Uh, they can barely afford food. He has to go on public assistance, which at that time was really, really kind of a social, uh, just a no-no. You know, it was, it was a, almost an embarrassing thing for people to admit they needed help at that time. Now it's, it's much more common. But at that time, uh, it was seen as, as a, just kind of a bad thing by a lot of people. And all of those things were true, you know, and showing all of that and what he went through and making it about his personal struggle and those personal relationships, the character development between the personal relationships. That's what makes a memorable sports movie. You can say the same thing about Rocky, you know, those movies and every every uh, Raging Bull, you know, showing the flaws with Jake LaMotta. There's so many boxing movies and sports movies in general you could point to where you remember the characters you remember the the family struggles and things like that, much more than the actual sports stuff
3: and I think a good sports movie you have to it has to make you care about that main character or that team. You have to be bought in to them personally and either their success or their failure if it 's something of an anti hero story. you have yeah. to be really bought in for that movie to hit so with that being said, for you is this a Hall of fame. All-star, starter, or bench warmer sports film?
4: Well, uh, you know what? I, to me, personally, I, know, I think most boxing people would put this in the all-star category. I, for me, it's in the Hall of Fame. It's one of my favorite boxing movies of all time. And as a guy who works in the business all the time, I don't see every boxing movie because, you know, sometimes I want to see a movie that has zero boxing in it. I want a break from boxing. This is one of those boxing movies. Every time it comes on, I watch it.
3: And yeah, I'm like fist pumping happy that you're saying that the boxing guy is saying that because it's a Hall of Fame movie for me, too. I love, love this movie. It's on a lot, surprisingly. Yeah. I feel like you can catch it on AMC or cable a lot. And it's great. I think this movie is is fantastic. It's aged well. And it is. I, I think so, too. It is um, it's going on about 15 years old and it, it holds up really well. I feel like this is one that will hold up for years and years.
4: I, I agree. I think it's going to be up there with, you know, the the first two Rocky films, uh, maybe, you know, not seen quite as, as good as those films. They're, they're, those films are so iconic, you know, but Cinderella Man, it doesn't have that that iconic type of character nature about it. But it's just—it's one of those films where I feel it does better on cable and in it, it homes uh, with, you know, maybe parents watching it with their kids, uh, fathers watching it with their sons, than it did at the theater. You know, I didn't realize it only made sixty million dollars. That I would have never guessed that. I, I figured it had to make at least hundred million. That's surprising to me.
3: I would argue that it's an easier rewatch than maybe Rocky One. 'Cause Rocky One, I mean, it's it's mostly it mostly it, it I would say it drags in some places just as far as this the pace of the movie because there's really only one boxing match. There it's it's basically one one main match, the 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 last one with Apollo. Whereas this one there's a lot of action that kind of keeps you going. This movie is very well paced, I thought.
4: Yeah, I mean Ron Howard, you know, I mean he's great at what he does. At everything he does, I'm gonna watch it and um with rocky you know that was a script by stallone and it was a a film that took him a while to to get it made and i think originally they wanted to go with a different i can't remember which actor they wanted to go with but you know that was one of those things where um it just they caught lightning in a bottle right but with this you just had an all-star crew I, i mean you mentioned all the actors and I mean, you have that's award winning actors, right? Top to bottom. And then even the supporting crew is really good. Ron Howard is awesome. And then some of the boxers that they use uh, as the opponents that uh, Russell Crowe fought were actually real boxers. Uh, Art Binkowski played Corn Griffin. He was actually a, a professional boxer born in Poland, but uh, lives and trains out of Chicago. Troy Ross, born in Guyana, is now a Canadian. He played John Henry Lewis. So you had real boxers playing some of the opponents. Uh, There was just an authenticity to it. And as you mentioned, a really, really good pacing that I completely agree. It makes it a better watch the second, third, or in my case, 50th time around.
3: Yeah, the uh, the guy who played Art Lasky was also a boxer, Mark Simmons. I think uh, a motto of this podcast is always, always, always cast athletes. Because not only are they going to look good on screen actually doing the the action of whatever sport they are, but they're going to carry themselves like athletes, like, like people from that sport. And I think it really makes a difference. That really comes through on camera. One thing I wanted to ask about you, this movie takes place mainly in the 30s. What are the differences in boxing? And in the style between just a quick thing between the 30s and present day, it seems like this is kind of a thing in boxing movies. Is most a lot of boxing movie fights are just straight up slugfests. Uh, this movie is you know, there's no rounds, they don't really show anything where guy the guys are just kind of feeling each other out. Was boxing more intense back there? Was it more punch heavy? Has it changed much? What's your kind of quick uh, summation? Yes and that? no. I mean,
4: without getting into a really kind of drawn-out, boring technical discussion. Um, The the fighter styles have changed. I would say the fighters now fight much less often because there's much bigger paydays and there's only so many network dates. So that's a huge difference. I mean, fighters back in Jim Braddock's era, I'm talking championship-level fighters, they'd fight once a month, sometimes twice a month. Um, I think Greb fought 80 times in a year once. So, I mean, some of these guys, uh, some of the all-time greats would fight every other week. And there would be exhibition matches a lot of times, you know, things like that. So the guys now, they'll do an eight-week camp, sometimes a 12-week camp for a fight. They Generally, the star fighters fight twice a year. So it's so much more riding on a fight. They're a lot more cautious. And you might have... $50 million of business lined up if you beat the guy in front of you. You know you don't want to screw that up. So, yeah, I do think that fighters are more cautious now. I will say that the boxers now are probably more athletic. They're uh, bigger, stronger, faster, just like in every other sport. And the their fundamentals are a little sharper, I'd say. I'd say back in the day there was a lot more mauling and grappling and wrestling, that sort of thing. You would see guys almost throw each other down to the canvas. Um, when, When you drop somebody back in the day, and as soon as they got up, you could go charge right after them. You could kind of stand right over them and start punching them again. Now the ref will separate you, make you go to a neutral corner and wait there and separate the fighters. Make sure that the fighter who was down, as soon as he gets up, he'll take a second and check him out. He'll make sure that he's got his legs under him, that he's not concussed. There's kind of an extra time there before he lets him fight again. Back in the day, you'd see multiple knockdowns where a guy would be down, he'd get up, the fighter would be right on top of him, hitting him right away. In that sense, maybe it was a little closer to MMA in in that time. So, yeah, I could keep going for an hour with this, but there there are differences. Um, As far as slugfests, you know, there were some fights back then that were dull, clinch fest where the fighters would clinch in fact jim braddock had a fight of his that uh the he ultimately wasn't paid and the ref stopped it and, call, and declared it a no contest because him and his opponent weren't fighting enough so that sort of thing happened as well
3: yeah the uh they mentioned before the corn griffin fight and this is something that when it said that braddock hadn't been knocked out in over 80 professional fights and my mind just blew up at 80 professional fights I just, I was just like, oh my god, like, what mean, a beating!
4: Guys that fought over two hundred times as a pro? I mean, like Willie Pep, his real name is Guglielmo Guliemo Papaleo. Uh, his nickname was Willie Pep. He fought over two hundred times. You know, Henry Armstrong, guys like that fought hundreds of times as professionals. It was very common in those times.
3: That's just that is insane. Um, let's let's dive into the IMDb trivia real quick. We're just gonna, I, I just want to highlight a couple things that are, I, you know, I found was interesting. Rosemary DeWitt, who plays the neighbor Sarah, who is the 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 wife of Mike, who who dies in the Hooverville, is actually Mm. the granddaughter of Jimmy Braddock, which I which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, you already touched on professional boxers played the opponents. Everyone except the uh, Max Bear. The cinematographer invented a tire cam, which is a camera cushioned inside a tire behind plexiglass. This allowed the professional boxers to hit the tire to create realistic reactions from a first-person point of view, which I thought was I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, Braddock's children were uh, were supportive of the movie as long as it portrayed their dad accurately. They shared insight, family letters with the screenplay. Uh, Russell Crowe said that uh, Jimmy Braddock is his personal favorite role, which is interesting. I mean, he's played a ton of iconic roles, so I, I found that um, you know pretty <laughs> cool. Um, Crowe and Mark Simmons, who played uh, Art Lasky, had over 300 choreographed punches to learn for the Braddock-Lasky fight. And then Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Clive Owen, Billy Bob Thornton, and Mark Wahlberg were all considered for the lead, ro- the lead role. I could see all of those guys in that role, except for Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Ben Affleck would have been right for it either. But um, I could at least see him physically in the ring, though.
4: Yeah, I just you know, as far as looks go, I thought Russell Crowe really, really did a good job, and and just right. He was the right size, you know, the right weight. I think because I think Ben Affleck is like six three or something. I think just he's a little too tall. I, I think Billy Bob Thornton is not the right look, and he's a little too small. But um, yeah, I, I think I saw that where they. I didn't know. I didn't know Mark Wahlberg. That's pretty interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. But Russell- yeah, I mean, and he went on to Wahlberg went on to be in the fighter, so he got his boxing movie.
4: Yeah, he he tried for years to get that movie made. That was kind of a pet project for him.
3: Mm-hmm. And then uh, Art Binkowski, the guy you mentioned uh, who played Corn Griffin, didn't like being knocked down during the fight scene because he'd never fallen in a real fight and didn't want his opponents to think it was even remotely possible, (laughs) That's which I found pretty funny. Boxers have uh, very interesting psychology with stuff like that. And then the most interesting uh, bit of IMDb trivia, and I kind of wanted to translate, I think the most relevant thing to the movie and what we're going to talk about with a uh, based on a true story movie, you know, like, we, you know, we did Miracle a couple months back on this podcast, Try to just keep it to what's on screen. If they have to Hollywood a couple things up, like we talked off Mike about, uh, you know, the guy Mike that, you know, that's not really a thing that happened, um, you know, Russell Crowe's buddy who dies in the Hooverville. But one thing that did and one thing they they made a big change on that might not have gone over as well is uh, with Max Bear, who's kind of the big bad in the movie. He's the final guy who James Braddock defeats for the heavyweight title. Uh, after the film's release, his son, Max Bear Jr., and many boxing analysts decried the portrayal of Bear as a man who was proud that he'd killed two opponents in the ring. Bear killed one opponent in the ring, and Max Bear Jr. said the memories haunted his father for life. A second opponent who had been KO'd died a few weeks later of unrelated causes. In real life, after Max Bear knocked out Frankie Campbell in the ring, He stayed by Campbell's side for 30 minutes, waiting for the ambulance to arrive, spent time with him and his family at the hospital, telling Frankie's wife how sorry he was. The next day, he was pronounced dead. When Bear heard, he broke down in tears. In this movie, they do not portray him that way. They portray him as very callous with his opponent's health. He's not really concerned, seems even a little bit proud of it, and you know basically two part question for you and your experience working with boxers, covering boxers. And obviously this is something that is pretty relevant because the boxers recently just passed away from, um, after a fight, have you, you know, have you experienced boxers that, that come off like that in regard to their opponent's health? And do you think this movie should have handled Max bear in a different way?
4: Uh, really good question. You know, it, it is very relevant. Uh, the fighter that you speak of that, that passed away, a week ago in Chicago, I was ringside for that. I, I saw him lose consciousness and never regain it. it. It stayed with me. And I also saw his opponent crying. And um, in several interviews, in days following that, uh, his social media was very active, tweeting out prayers and thoughts for, for him and his family. And uh, there's actually been four boxing deaths just this year alone. You know, more more athletes have died in boxing than any other martial art or any other uh, team sport. So literally hundreds, maybe even thousands that we don't even know of. I got to say, of of all the fighters I've talked to and, and covered, regardless of what they say during the promotion of a fight, because fighters say some really bombastic things, crazy, crazy things. I mean, you think of Mike Tyson and some of the things he said, right? They don't mean it. Even when there's bad blood. And there's very, very often bad blood between fighters for different reasons. They may want to hurt their opponent. That is the point of boxing. I am yet to meet a fighter who honestly wants to kill an opponent or is happy that they did. I probably know a dozen fighters, both active and retired, that have ended up – one of their opponents has ended up dying. And I can tell you it haunts them. It changes them as people. A lot of times it ruins them as a fighter. They're never quite the same. And you mentioned Max Bear. Um, I thought the movie did a good job of showing that he, you know, look, he was a character. He was a womanizer. He partied a lot. And he did actually warn Braddock before the fight, like, hey, don't take the fight. I don't want to hurt you. He actually did do that. Um, And he talked a little trash here and there. But I think after that ring death, he didn't take boxing as seriously. And, you know, one thing the movie didn't show is he he didn't even really train for Braddock. He had spent the previous year making Hollywood movies and running around with women. So he wasn't that prepared. And he didn't even like boxing that much. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying he was very good at boxing. He made a lot of money doing it. He enjoyed it. But once he became champion and saw some of the the tragedies that could happen in the ring and some of the nasty side of the business, he became much more interested in making movies and being a celebrity and enjoying his life. So I thought the movie – look, it was 2005. I think that some of these ring deaths have become a little more um, public in recent years and more well-known, and if that movie were made today – Perhaps they could have handled it with more sensitivity as it relates to that. But I think Ron Howard was just trying to show – just trying to create this big bad, as you call it, so that it would be that much more dramatic You know, when, when Jim Braddock wins. Uh, he couldn't show that You know, Bear wasn't in the best shape, that Bear didn't take him very seriously. He couldn't show those things because it wouldn't make the, the final scene as dramatic, and I think that's why they did it.
3: Yeah, that's a fair point. I think you're right, and that if it was made now, they might show a little more sensitivity. Uh, Craig Bierko, if I'm pronouncing his name right, I'm awful with names, but the the guy who played him, I thought did a good job. I thought he was really compelling. Thought he was very entertaining. Um, so not taking away from that, I just you know I, I that was the only thing as I not a boxing savant that struck me as unrealistic, just kind of as a human of um, you know I, I I didn't think that the guy would be that callous about. You know, killing people in the ring, uh, but on that on that cheery <laughs> note, let's uh, let's talk about what the best scene might be. Uh, I've got a couple nominees. You can let me know if I miss anything. Um, I like the opening scene when it's the uh, it's the fight in 1928 shows Braddock winning. It it shows you uh, you know he's got a uh, Joe and, and Braddock in the car, Giamatti and Crow. It kind of shows you that. That early um, relationship between them it builds them early. It shows him with that momentum in life. He gets that thirty five hundred dollar purse, which I looked was is fifty two thousand dollars in twenty nineteen. Um, it, it shows him on the upswing, and so you get that brief bit of what his life was like before the depression and how he how much of on the upswing he was. A little uh, you know scene with his family too. Um, next scene. Uh, the one where he has to go ask for money, this isn't a cheery scene, but when he shows up at the the office at the garden and has to, you know, basically, he just swallow his pride to get his kids back, yeah, I thought it was one of the most emotional scenes in the movie. Uh, you know, thought it was fantastic. The thing is, I can't afford to, uh,
2: I can't afford to pay the heat. I've had to farm out my kids. You know, to keep cutting shifts down at the docks and... Uh, just don't get picked every day. I sold everything I got that anybody would buy. (laughs) I went on public assistance. I signed on at the relief office. They gave me $19. I need another $18.38 so I can pay the bill and get the kids back. You know me well enough to know if I had anywhere else to go, I wouldn't be here. If you could help me through this time, I sure would be grateful.
3: The Corn Griffin fight. he uh, start you know starts making his comeback. Um, the the negotiations between Gold and Johnson. Uh, Johnson was played by Bruce McGill when when he's breaking down why he needs Jim Braddock back in the ring after the Corn Griffin fight. I really enjoy that you know that back and forth between them, uh, the the uh, Henry Lewis and Lasky fights. I like that they just did them back to back, kind of wiped them out. I you know really like that. Uh, the press conference before the bear fight, and then the bear fight. A lot of times in sports movies, the uh, the best scene is usually the, the last game, the last fight, you know whatever. But it did. Was there anything I missed or did you have a favorite? All those
4: are great. All those are great. And some great acting and great writing and direction from Howard in those scenes. But for me, like the single greatest moment in that movie for me, uh, I think you call it the big chill, you know, the part where like the back of my neck stood up. Yeah. The Art Lasky scene, uh, Lasky lands a big shot and it knocks out Braddock's mouthpiece. It goes onto the canvas and rolls around a little bit. Everyone's jaws open, you know, and they're gasping and and Lasky thinks he's got him out of there. And then Braddock walks over calmly, picks up his mouthpiece, puts it back in his mouth and just looks at Lasky and grins. And Lasky looks back like, holy crap. That scene, to me, look, I've sparred several hundred rounds myself. I was in the Marine Corps. I've done a little boxing myself. And I know how that feels. That is a real, true boxing thing. In fact, there was a fight uh, this last Friday, a championship fight in Philadelphia, where that very same thing happened. There is nothing more demoralizing for a fighter when you nail somebody with your best shot and they just grin at you and keep coming. And the way Howard did it, the way he directed it, was beautiful. I love that scene. I could watch it on repeat. It's
3: awesome. He's got the blood coming down his chin. He, as soon yeah, as he smiles, man. the music
4: just hits. Perfect. He's it, thinking it's, of his kids. Great. He's thinking of his wife. And you just know he's thinking, you know, he's looking back at Lasky because, you know, Lasky was a little younger than him, an up-and-coming guy. He's this old, over-the-hill guy. And he's thinking, ah, you'll get here one day, but you're not having it tonight. You know, I've been through too much crap, and you're not getting me out of here. You're going to have to kill me to get me out of here, literally. And the, the look on Lasky's face,
3: you know, it just, and yeah, the music hits, it's awesome. We're kind of stepping on the big chill, but for that same reason, I love the Corn griffin fight. When he he starts, he finally, I think he, he lands a punch on Griffin, and it's clear that, The fight has now turned towards Braddock's favor and he's going to win. And they cut to Gold, they cut to Giamatti, and he's got that dazed smile on his face. And the music starts hitting, and it's just like, I have to see when it's on TV. If it's before that scene, I know I am in until at least that scene. I've got to see him wolfing down the hash with his, you know, just stuffing his face in it, Um, seeing the sports reporter, and then that. I mean, I just. it just incredible i mean this movie's full of moments like that but um let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then we'll get back to uh the most authentic and least authentic big screen sports is brought to you by harry's guys this is a perfect time for this ad read i literally just got out of the shower and shaved my face smooth flawless no razor burn everything looks good i'm admittedly not a big beard guy not a big facial hair guy in general I haven't been shaving for too long, but humans have been shaving for thousands of years. And the secret to a good shave, it hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. Do me a favor, do this podcast a favor, check out harrys.com slash blue wire for a free trial today. Using Harry's is just a no-brainer for anyone in the 21st century. It's easy. It's delivered to your door. You got quality, durable blades at a fair price. It's just $2 a blade. You set the delivery frequency. So if you're a big Grizzly Adams guy and you need them every couple weeks, get them to your door. If you're like me, a little more babyface, getting them every couple months. It's whatever works for you. Listeners of big screen sports can redeem a Harry's trial set at harrys.com bluewire blue wire. You get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com bluewire blue wire and I am telling you, once you feel a shave with a Harry's blade, you're really going to want that subscription. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by ShipStation. The holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship out orders quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders, or decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? If you're in the online sales market, you're more worried about getting people to actually buy your stuff. Don't give yourself a headache trying to figure out how to get it to them after they buy it. Luckily for you, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered on time for the holidays. No sad customers for you. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, even your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. You can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage and discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. It's no wonder that ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation handle it with ease. Just use this promo code, BLUE, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE, like Blue Wire Podcast. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happy. All right, so let's get into the most authentic, least authentic. I didn't write anything down because I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Michael, for you, what is the most authentic part of this movie, you think?
4: Um, you know, I thought that they did a good job with most of the dates uh, as far as when the fights took place, the dates, the timeline. Uh, we just talked a second ago about the hash, you know, in the Corum Griffith scene. And you said, imagine if I had a steak. That's a real quote. Um, some of the locations of the fights, they weren't 100% accurate. But I got to tell you, I see a lot of sports movies, particularly with boxing, where they screw up dates. They completely change facts about the fight. They didn't do that here. They did a pretty good job with that. There's some little tweaks, but for the most part, they did a very good job. And um, I thought that there was a couple of instances in the corner where uh, Paul Giamatti was um, just talking to, to Russell Crowe, uh, to Jim Braddock, and calming him down in the corner. And th- there was one scene where he had, I think, a coin that he had, had in ice and put it on his ear to, to stop some bleeding, and the ear was torn. And just massaging him, rubbing him down, uh, showing a little bit of the psychology that takes place in, in the corner. There was a, an opponent, I can't remember which opponent it was, that looked over and said, why isn't he sitting down? Why is he standing in his corner, right? And then they go to Giamatti and he says, see, he's looking over at you, right? He doesn't know, you know, he's wondering why you're not sitting down. You're in his head. That kind of stuff is real. That kind of stuff, is a, that psychological stuff is a real big part of boxing. A real And really all martial arts, not just boxing. So I thought that was uh, really well
3: done. Did you have anything for least authentic? Was there anything really glaring? I think this movie, like you said, with all the dates and everything, I know – Part of the IMDb trivia, they tried to make sure the money was correct. All you know, the purses and everything. They they took effort to make it authentic. Was there anything glaring that stood out to you besides kind of the Max Bear stuff we talked about? I
4: think the, the Max Bear fight they listed it as Madison Square Garden uh, in Manhattan in New York City it was actually there was a different Madison Square. I, I don't think it was called Madison Square Garden. I can't remember the exact name of the arena, but it was out on Long Island. And I think that's where they had that fight. I don't think it was in the city. I think it was out in Long Island. But it was it, the Madison
3: uh, Square Garden Bowl located at 48th Street and Northern Boulevard in Long Island. That was on the, uh, on the IMDB trivia as well. It was torn down after WW2. I think it was turned into to an army depot or something during World War II.
4: And that, that venue was kind of known as a venue where champions were upset. There were several champions who fought at that venue – and lost their title to an underdog. So Max Bear kind of just became another in a long line of fighters who had been upset there. So it was kind of a running joke with boxing historians at the time. Uh, It just, I thought that was interesting and I thought they could have worked that into the script. Maybe it would have worked, but again, maybe Ron Howard made a choice not to do it that way because he wanted to make it more dramatic and up the stakes. But uh, other than that, you know, just some of the action in the fight. So, I've watched the fight between Braddock and bear a few times and that it was 15 rounds. And a lot of it was Braddock just staying outside in jabbing, just an occasional jab. Anytime uh, bear tried to get in close, just boom, just a jab and then back up, boom, a jab back up. There were some exchanges, some heated exchanges, but for the most part, it was kind of one punch at a time in a more technical, slow paced fight. And, you know, They took liberties with that in the film. They kind of made it seem like it was this all-out slugfest and, and Braddock was hurt several times. There was one punch in the fight that Bear landed that kind of wobbled Braddock a little bit. But for the most part, Braddock was never really buzzed in that fight. He was pretty sturdy the entire 15 rounds. It was actually Bear that got pushed back a few times. But even he wasn't ever really hurt. He was just getting jabbed. and Basically, Braddock just kept him off balance. For 15 rounds and that was his strategy going in uh there was a fighter who had beaten braddock a few years back who used that strategy to to beat him and he learned from that loss and applied it in this fight with bear that's another thing that i thought maybe they could have added into the script but i understand why they have to you know up the drama of that last fight and make it seem like you know more of a slugfest than it
3: really was when you watched it did you score it yourself what the uh the actual fight? The actual fight. Yeah, yeah. Because in, in the movie, at the end, they're kind of worried they they hide up the drama a little bit. That oh, yeah, uh, yeah,
4: that's another thing that totally totally just Hollywood. Because base, I mean, right after the fight, after the final bell, I don't even think it was ten seconds before they got in the ring and immediately announced. And the way they would do the announcements back then. Sometimes they read the scores, but a lot of times they just get up there and say, "The winner is," and say the fighter's name, and that's how they did it. They got up and said, "The winner is or they, I think they said the new champion," and that was it. they didn't read out the scores. nothing. They do that now that's a big difference in boxing now where they learn that that you know adds to the drama, so they take their time and read every score. Back then, the guy would just jump in the ring, the ring announcer, and just say, your winner is Braddock. Boom, that's it.
3: So it wasn't as good. See, I think the the original Rocky did a favor for boxing movies in general is that it it puts it into play that the main character could lose. Even if you know to a 99% certainty that you think that guy is going to win, there's always that chance that the main character doesn't come out the champion. So, they're you know, they definitely played into that. The only thing I really could have said for authentic, um, that I thought they did that that helped the movie, I thought they captured the uh the vibe of the Great Depression really well, the desperation of the Great Depression and Braddock's life in general, and that that boosted the movie up is that setting that it was in. I thought they did a really great job of really capturing how desperate the times were and how much he needed this career.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point. And, you know, he was absolutely destitute at one point and completely flat broke and needed that money so bad. The actually the fight with Corn Griffin, he didn't train one day for that fight. He had been working and he had, he had a broken arm at one point. And um, they made it look like he worked with a cast on from what I've heard he didn't start working until he got the cast off. But either way, he had been working out at the docks. He hadn't been in training at all. They called him up on a day's notice to go fight Corin Griffin. So um, the desperation he had for money is what got him through in that fight. And uh, I thought that was pretty amazing. I mean, that's an accurate thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: What else in this movie worked for you? I feel like this is a movie... You know, we both said it's a Hall of Fame movie. I feel like there was a lot that just really hit in this one.
4: Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, the cinematographer. I think his name is Sal Totino. Uh, He wrapped that camera in the foam and and then put it in a tire and hung it from the ceiling. That created such a cool shot. And that really was an authentic kind of shot because they're kind of punching in the camera. And it again, as a guy who's been in there a little bit and fought myself, that looked really accurate. There, there's a lot of boxing movies I've seen where the punches, including Rocky, by the way, some of the punches looked really bad, really fake, overly choreographed. I, I love some of the camera angles, getting up close. It made you feel like you were in the ring. Um, overall, you know, you mentioned um, the, the Great Depression, capturing all that. I thought it was great, and I, I really liked the the chemistry between. Uh, Russell Crowe and Renee Zellweger I, I, I believed you know, that they were a couple and they loved each other she was so concerned for him and, and that was also a real thing Jim Braddock's wife hated that he fought she absolutely hated it and I thought um, Renee Zellweger did an outstanding job I just I, I bought the relationships I didn't look at any relationship in this movie and think yeah I don't buy this it, it could have cast somebody else you know, it, everything worked. It was just one of those movies where everything worked.
3: This movie hinges on the legitimacy of those the relationships between Jim and Joe, Jim and May, and Jim and his kids, and they crushed all three of those. They gave you the weight of all three of those. You bought into all of them. The the you already touched on it, but just the chemistry between um, between Jim and Joe, between Giovanni and Crow, just throughout the whole movie is um is fantastic and even the chemistry between um, May and Joe when she goes to his apartment and has that that scene where he eats with um where she eats with him and his mm-hmm. wife and they, she sees that they've sold all the furniture because he's he's just sold on he's he's bought into uh to Jim is just it's a movie that hinges on believing their relationships and buying into that and being behind these people and wanting to see Jim succeed for these people and it it does that so well. Uh, it, it just, God, this movie is so good. The Goulds they, they were
4: affected by, by the, uh, by the depression as well. I think he went, he was like for a while, a door to door salesman or something during that time. So uh, he struggled as well. So it, it was like the whole group, you know, that they were kind of like a, a family together struggling and they were fighting together. You know, uh, Braddock was the guy in the ring Doing the physical fighting. But they were all struggling and fighting together as a team. And, you know, the chemistry was there. You just bought into it. And you wanted to root for them. Going back to your first question, what makes a good sports movie? I guess, you know, that would be a big thing. Getting the viewer to to root for the character. To really buy in emotionally and root for the character. Whether it's for them to succeed or fail and this movie freaking home run or i should say knockout <laughs> with that
3: yeah yeah i mean it it did that it does this it does that as well as any sports movie i think uh and and that's kind of a lasting legacy of it you mentioned the the thing with his hand he, the, you know that like it kind of differs on if he worked you know before he got the cast off or whatever did you notice in the movie he kind of gave that as that's the reason that he got good with his left? What did you think about that? That's
4: accurate. From, from what I've read okay. and been told by different guys, you know, some of the old timers I've talked with, um, his, his, he was, he, when he came up, he, he started as a middleweight, Braddock did. And he was big for middleweight, and he had a big right hand. And he, would, he wasn't a, a very good technician, he would depend on his right hand power to knock guys out. And that can be a good thing as far as making you popular with fans, but it could be a bad thing because once fighters figure out, okay, I just got to look for that right hand, well, you're kind of a one trick pony. And he never really got to develop that left hand until his right hand was literally broken. He couldn't use it, and he had to use the left hand. And he went, it's not like he was working an office job with the left hand, he was doing hard physical labor. He strengthened his left hand and got it to a point where he said it was stronger than his right. And that made his jab better. That made him stronger on the inside with the mauling and grappling kind of stuff. So it just made him a more complete fighter.
3: I like that the movie touched on that because you need besides the, um, you know, if he would have just come out, you know, I'm, I'm desperate for money. I'm desperate to save my family. It's good that he also brought in, but I'm also physically better too. I'm not the same guy who was who was struggling in the ring. So I like that the movie brought that that realistic aspect in. One thing I wanted to ask you, uh, just boxing history wise, the the second fighter he has or the third fight he has, I can't. John the John Henry Lewis fight. Um, John Henry Lewis was an African American. Was boxing ever segregated? When did I mean? Because this movie takes place over 15 years before Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in baseball, it seems like boxing was fairly progressive in that area.
4: Yeah. I mean, well before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, uh, there was a a black heavyweight champion named Jack Johnson decades before that. Now he wasn't beloved by the American media. In fact, he went through a lot, a lot of uh, tough times. And, but Joe Lewis, was the first you could argue the first black american sports hero when he knocked out max schmeling in their rematch that was right at the height of you know the tensions between the united states and nazi germany max Schmelling was of course from germany Schmelling had beat him in the first fight and then he came back and uh won the rematch in crushing fashion it was like a first or second round knockout i can't remember and he actually won his, his title off of Braddock. They actually fought. Braddock actually dropped him. I think the movie mentions that at the very end. But um, yes, boxing in a sense was progressive because if the best were willing to fight the best, you're going to have to fight fighters of every ethnicity at some point. But some of the champions around the turn of the 20th century, many of them were Irish or Irish-American, drew what they called a color line that would not fight black fighters. And there there were some great black heavyweights that never really got an opportunity to fight for world championships. Um, Italian-American fighters faced a lot of prejudice at the time. They could not draw the color line because they were not seen as white fighters. So Italian-American fighters fought everybody. They fought the black fighters, Mexican fighters, whoever but some of the Anglo-American fighters did not. Jim Braddock was a guy who was willing to fight everybody, you know, and, and he did. You, you mentioned that John Henry Lewis fight. John Henry Lewis had beat Braddock before. That's that's accurate. They mentioned that in a movie that is accurate, and he was a huge favorite to beat Braddock when they fought. Uh, John Henry Lewis was seen as an up-and-coming guy, you know, may, maybe a future star. So that was a big deal when Braddock beat him.
3: Yeah, it was something that I found interesting on my rewatch is just seeing that um – you know, over 15 years before Jackie Robinson, that that boxing had been desegregated, I guess in, in some form or fashion. Uh, before we move on, was there anything else that did work or didn't work that you wanted to touch on or that we might've missed?
4: Yeah, I think we hit everything. I mean, just, um, you know, I'll probably think of something like later on tonight when I'm, <laughs> when I'm laying in bed, you know, I'll, I'll
3: think, damn, I should've mentioned that. But I, I, I do that on pretty much every episode. Yeah,
4: man. I mean, you know, you, you can't hit everything, but, I I, really, I think we hit everything. I mean, we touched on everything. Just top to bottom, a great movie. I'm trying to think if there was any point in the movie that dragged a little bit, and I just can't remember any part. Because, you know, I, I watch a lot of movies where I'm like, yeah, they could have cut 10 minutes out of that. They could have shortened this period up where it got a little draggy and boring. There was no part like that in this movie.
3: Yeah. If you're gonna nitpick and say, you know, you got to cut 10 minutes out of this movie, you probably cut out the Mike stuff. But I think the Mike stuff was good to show the, the desperation of the depression and like him going into that Hooverville and everything. Um, It was kind of, you know, it was kind of someone's eye.
4: The Hooverville was a real thing and people died there. Like Mike did. I mean, Mike was a made up thing, but he, he, he symbolized, um, you know, I guess he stood for a, a lot of people that did suffer and die in Hooverville. And it also showed that it wasn't just Jim and his family suffering, right? Everyone was suffering. So it, it, you could see like the whole community was pulling for him. And I think that's why that Mike Wilson part kind of added to the movie.
3: Yeah, so it, it's not even something I would have wanted them to cut. So yeah, the movie, I mean, the movie's pretty well paced. For best and worst on-screen athlete, there's really only two... Actors who were boxing. It's Russell Crowe and it was Craig Bierko who played uh, Max Bear. You know, you've kind of touched on it already. What was your assessment of them? Did they do the job at least?
4: I think that, yeah, they both, in in terms of styles, um, Craig Bierko, you know, he had the uh, kind of the clubbing, mauling punches that Max Bear would do. And I thought that Russell Crowe did a good job kind of jabbing and flicking the jab out the way Braddock would. I thought they did a really good job and you can tell they spent time looking at footage of those fighters. So I can't really pick a worst athlete. I thought they both did a good job.
3: Yeah, I think that's all you can ask from um from an actor in a movie like this. Uh if you know if they're at, least, at the least passable and the rest of the movie's great, I think is you know a recipe for a pretty good sports movie. The Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. This really all depends on, is Joe Gould a supporting character? Is Giamatti a supporting character? Because if so, he's the easy pick.
1: Oh! Jesus it's Christ! Jesus! Mary and Joseph! Mary Magdalene! All the saints and martyrs and Jesus! Did I say Jesus? <laughs> Where the hell did that come from?
2: I don't know. When my hand was broke, I had to work down the docks and I had to use my left. So what? No, that and luck.
1: Oh, look! Oh, don't don't matter Irish Lucky luck the Irish trap. No, sir. Lucky, that's something you ain't been in a long time. <laughs>
2: Brother. Everybody's do.
1: Oh, do or not, I'll take it. You had the left. The left, but you were bouncy. You were bouncy. Pop, pop. Whish, bang, Pop, <laughs> pop. pop whish, bang. Unbelievable. Pop, pop. Whish, sliding. Sliding, slipping. You were like a cat.
2: I did that on a hatch. Imagine what I would have done to him if I had a couple of
4: stakes.
1: Jimmy. That was one hell of a goodbye.
4: Yeah, I mean, easily. And I was going to say Paul Giamatti all day. I I guess he would be considered a supporting character because you have your lead male, your lead female. And so he would be a supporting character. To me, it was one of the more memorable supporting roles in a sports movie ever.
3: I love the way he played that part. It was awesome. I wouldn't change anything about it. This might be a hot take, but I think I like him more than Mickey in the Rocky movies. I think as far as boxing sidekicks go, I, I think it, it really might. I mean, he's he crushes this role so good.
4: Yeah, it's one of those roles where now that you look back, you think, man, no other actor could have done a better job. Paul Giamatti was perfect for it. Just just for Mm
3: hmm. Yeah. Um the some others I, I wrote down Bruce McGill who played James Johnson. He's been he's character actor has been a lot. He was in uh was in My Cousin Vinny, which th- this podcast loves. He's Walter Hagen in Legend of Bagger Vance and he was also D-Day in Animal House, riding his uh riding his oh, motorcycle yeah, that's in that's. House. I, by uh, the way, I love My Cousin Vinny yeah. too. That's an all-time favorite there. If yeah, if you don't stop what you're doing when My Cousin Vinny is on TV and just dial in and and you got to wait. I, I think that it's funny. This is a sports movie podcast. I think on, we've talked about Marissa Tomei killing, you know, killing it in the courtroom scene at the end of my cousin, Vinny, like three or four times since I've started this podcast. It's oh, just unbelievably
4: charming. Ever. And you can't help but fall in love with her in that movie. particularly amazing stuff.
3: Amazing stuff. Um, I also mentioned there's Nicholas Campbell, Sporty Lewis, who's like that classic crafty 30s sports writer. Oh yeah. Um, Birko is, is Max Bear, who was good. And then I couldn't I couldn't find the actual actor's name who was the announcer, who was the the ringside announcer. But I, I thought that was that was well done in sports movies. The the announcer, the commentator, either usually serves as comic relief or is just kind of a narrator for the action, like a good narrator. And I, I, I thought that was, that was well done. It seemed, it seemed very authentic was, at least But and, and um, the,
4: the tone of his voice. Perfect. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. It was very believable. Um, let's get into the big chill. And this is, this movie has almost as many big chill moments as there can be in a sports movie. Um, this isn't a sports related chill, but I, when they give him the money, when he's in the office, and they, he kind of passes the hat around and they give him the money so he can get his kids back. Like, that's a emotional chill. Um, the first knockdown of Griffin and then it rolling into Griffin's knockout, like I said earlier, when you see Giamatti's face, um, the scene you mentioned when he smiles at, at Lasky and then the music hits and you know that he's about to put an ass beating down on him. Um, when he walks into the bear fight and it's quiet and then he gets that standing O. And then... Um, And then when they lift him up at the end and you see him and this is like I I legitimately this goes to what we've been saying about this movie making you care about the character when they lift him up the the patrons lift him up the you know the fight's been announced he's won you see his face you see him smiling he's kind of in a daze it is such an emotional feeling of seeing when you've been through what that guy's been through in the last two hours and 20 minutes, you've, you've ridden this emotional roller coaster with him and seen what he's had to go through. He's had to, you know, he had to get his kids back and, and everything. And it was as, I don't know if it was as much a chills moment. It's just an emotional powerhouse moment. And just a main reason of why this movie's so good. What is your big chill moment?
4: For me, the, the big chill moment. I mean, all those are great. And, the, the final scene is just very heartwarming and positive and uplifting. You feel like I want to go work out after that. You know, I want to yeah. go finish some of the chores on my to do list. You know, I just want to get get up and go do something. But for me, the big chill moment is what I talked about before the Art Lasky scene, because again, that that hits me not only as of just a viewer and um, just enjoying a movie, you know, because of the way the music hits and it's all perfectly done. I've also done some acting work, and, and I've you know been on sets, and I, I know how difficult it is to, to capture a moment like that and make it work, and they crushed it, right? But then again, from a boxing standpoint, I know exactly that feeling, uh, being on both ends of that feeling, mind you. And again, they crushed it. It's a real thing. So it hit me in, in, at different levels. That is my favorite part of the movie.
3: It's I mean, this movie, every emotional scene that it needs to hit, like because I mean, that's the plan of this movie. Hey, we've got to make the the viewer that, you know, they've got to feel something in the Griffin knockout and the Lasky knockout. And at the end, they've got and they they hit they knocked it out of the park. Um, Would you would you do anything to improve this movie? How would you improve this movie if so? Oh, man.
4: Um, You know, maybe some of the things we've talked about where they could have worked in a little bit of those stories I talked about. You know, one thing that, you know, this is nitpicky, okay? But they kind of showed Braddock as being almost a perfect human being. Of course, he was having financial troubles and everything like that, but there was never a moment where he yelled at his wife or he uh, hit somebody or he got drunk, I don't know, something. So
3: wasn't even short with his kids really was very calm and patient. Like as a father, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that.
4: There, There could have been something there where he cussed out his manager and him and him and gold were really good friends. They were, they worked together for, for Jim's entire career. So maybe having a friendly fight, like again, I'm going to go back to Rocky when Rocky yells at Mick and basically tells him to get the hell out of his apartment. Right. And then, Mick walks down the street and finally realizes, oh, I shouldn't have did that. And he runs back out there to to catch him and, and make up with him. Something like that. Just something to show a little character flaw. Um, they made him seem almost angelic. It, by all means, Jim Braddock was a wonderful human being. He accomplished amazing things, both as a fighter, but then years after, which the movie kind of highlights in that final scene, some of the things he did. A uh, wonderful human being. Him and May were together for the rest of their lives. You know, so a good dude from that America's greatest generation they say right he really was from that generation. however, he was still human <laughs> and they could have showed some flaw somewhere you know a breakdown, something
3: Yeah, he really was he was the, uh, he was the angel of this movie. He, I think he was the only one who didn't do anything that was flawed whatsoever exactly um but again with a with a hall of fame movie it's you got to nitpick to uh to dig to find something to approve there's really not a lot this movie is it's fantastic. I can't wait until it's on cable again because I'm going to break all my plans and watch it. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk this movie with me. Tell the folks again where they can follow you and where they can see your podcast. Yeah,
4: so um, thank you for having me, Kyle. And hey, man, maybe we could do it again. I mean, there's a lot of boxing movies, so maybe we could do this
3: again. You are invited for every boxing movie after this. Awesome, week. man. That sounds good.
4: Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, everything at Montero on boxing. That's the handle. And my podcast The Neutral Corner every Monday and Thursday as we mentioned live on my YouTube channel, but then also the audio version. It's on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeart iHeartRadio, all of them. So just look for it, you'll find it. Please give me a follow, a like, a review, thumbs up, all that good stuff. I sincerely appreciate it.
3: Michael, I tried to I, I, I listened to your uh to your podcast turn on YouTube and again I'm not really dialed into the boxing world, but I was just like I'm gonna listen for a couple minutes, just try to get, you know, your cues before we record this so I can kind of have an have an idea of of you know how to converse cuz when you you know you do something like this we're not face to face it's tough. I ended up dialed in for like 30 35 minutes and I know nothing about boxing. Really enjoyed what you're doing. Um, so if you if you're someone who is dialed into the boxing world, I highly recommend checking out um, Michael's stuff and if you like this podcast, you know the drill, rate, review Share it with a friend. Uh, we got new episodes coming every Thursday. Next week is going to be something new. It's going to be real debates. We got Patrick Claybon from the NFL Network coming on to talk a little take on Hoosiers. And uh, so yeah, we'll catch you next Thursday. Thanks.